Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 12th of November 2023, 9.30 service. Katie Lothman speaking on Psalm 9. Well, here we are, come to Psalm 12. Uh, no, we haven't, that's wrong, Psalm 9. Uh, another Psalm of David, a Psalm about enemies. It's written for the director of music, so it's for singing in the worship at the temple. And that's how the Psalms have been used for centuries and still are today. Well, not centuries, millennia. Said or sung as part of a church service. We don't usually do that formally here at Christchurch, but a lot of the worship songs and the hymns that we sing are based on a psalm, on quotations from the psalms. So when we, when we read this psalm, Psalm 9, we're tapping into thoughts that have been prayed by millions of people talking to God over thousands of years. But when it was written, it was brand new. And how does the choir master know how to sing this brand new song? Well, the psalmist has a tune in mind, a tune called The Death of the Sun. And that's what it says at the beginning of the psalm, to the tune of The Death of the Sun. And in one sense, that's no help to us because no one knows what tune that was, although I'm sure the choir master of the day did. But in another sense, it's incredibly helpful. The Death of the Sun. When we think of a son that died, we think of Jesus, God's son. And I don't know if the psalmist did it deliberately, but there's a connection between that tune and the words of Psalm 9, because much of what it talks about is linked to Jesus' death. So we'll have a look at that in a minute. But of course, David himself had more than one son that died, the baby that he had with Bathsheba, and then much later, his favourite son, Absalom. And then today, Remembrance Sunday, we're thinking of many people who have lost their sons in war, not just in the past, but still happening right now in places all around the world. So the name of the tune evokes the tragedy of losing a son and the despair that it brings, and that can give us a context for hearing its words. But the psalm starts by praising God, reminding us that whatever's going on in our life, we can still rise above it and praise God for who he is. Even though bad things happen to us, God hasn't changed. So we can still praise him in the bad times. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8, give thanks in all circumstances. But sometimes people get confused and think that that means we should give thanks for all circumstances. That, that whatever we find ourselves in. But Psalm 9 makes it very clear that that's not what that means. It's kind of the other way around. It's because God is who he is that we can come to him in the midst of our troubles. The Psalm 9 is about a lot of troubles and it starts with these words of praise. I will give thanks to you, God, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Then in the next section, verse 3 to 6, the psalmist celebrates an answer to his prayer, even though later in the psalm it seems that the prayer hasn't actually been answered yet. All that was going wrong has been put right, and the people that caused all the harm, nobody can even remember them anymore. There may have been a great victory for David in one of his many battles, God was on the side of his people and the nations attacking them were wiped out. But what we see in the Old Testament time and time again 
is that enemies rise up and get defeated, or not. But before long, there's another beef, more enemies appearing. None of these victories was permanent. None of them was the war to end all wars. And the psalmist acknowledges that in verse 13. The enemies are back, and he's praying to be rescued so that he can praise God for saving him. This could make the previous verses look like wishful thinking, and maybe we feel the same when we look at the conflict and suffering in the world around us. Except this is where we can think of Jesus. It's only because of God's son, great David's greater son, that this prayer can be answered. Through his death, he defeated all our enemies because he broke the power of evil. So Psalm 9 is a celebration of that. The enemies are the forces of evil in this world and they melt away, defeated at the sight of God. The reason being because God has judged them for what they are and imposed his justice. And this leads to more praise. God has recognised the suffering of his people and he's brought them out of the war zone and into a place of serenity. But despite all that, we still experience suffering. And verse 13 recognises that. His enemies, the psalmist's enemies, are still persecuting him and he's still in need of mercy and rescue. And this is an expression of the tension of the time that we inhabit. The time between Jesus' defeat of evil on the cross, which was in the past, and the total fulfilment of that, which is in the future. So here in the present, both are held in tension. Evil is still visible in the world, but we can also see redemption, where peace and justice and healing and love break through. The grip of evil is loosened, and its power is not absolute. We live in a time of now and not yet. It's like Jesus' parable of the bridesmaids. It's the wedding, but the bridesmaid, no, the bridegroom isn't here yet. It's like being in a chrysalis. The caterpillar no longer exists, but the butterfly isn't quite here yet either. Or as Paul puts it in our reading from Romans 8, verse 22, it's like a baby in the womb about to be born. The whole of creation knows that evil has been defeated, and yet it's still in pain. How come? Creation is desperate to feel the glorious freedom that will come when God's rule is unopposed. We can only get little glimpses of that at the moment. Paul describes this as labour pains, as we wait for the baby to be born. Is there a baby? Well, yes, but we haven't got her yet. We're living with the now and the not yet. So the change of tense in Psalm 9 from my enemies perish before you to my enemies persecute me is not a grammatical mistake. It's not wishful thinking. It's an expression of that tension between the now and the not yet that we inhabit. Our ultimate enemy has been defeated in the past and yet we're still under attack in the present while we wait for the defeat to fully come into effect in the future. And in the meantime, as we hold this tension, 
It's our job to bring more of that victory, more of that future into the present. When we act justly or do mercy, we bring a little more of God's kingdom into the world, here and now. The baby's heart beats stronger as it waits for the next contraction. The wings of the butterflies stir inside their chrysalis. So as this is Remembrance Day, it's a time for thinking about war. And this is a war that we're talking about. But it's a war that's been won. But one where the attacks are still being felt. So who are the enemies that the psalm is talking about? For David, the enemies were very physical. The neighbouring nations trying to destroy the, the, the nation of Israel, a bit like what Israel faces today. And in this psalm, we see David praising God for his help in the battle. And yet the enemies keep coming. For Jesus, the enemy was the powers of evil, the forces of evil that attack God's creation. They want to attack God, but God is too powerful. So instead, they attack what God loves, his creation, including us, his children. Like any TV thug, they go after their, their target's children. We often praise God for his victory over evil, which he won on the cross, and yet we still feel its attacks. So for us, who are our enemies? Some of us have physical enemies who want to harm us, and there are numerous films and TV programmes about that. But for many of us, it's more subtle. People who try to turn us away from God are our enemies. There are people who feel it's okay to make fun of our faith and to ridicule us for our belief. As a result, it's tempting to shut up about it around them. We don't talk about God or church, so in effect, we de deny Jesus in that environment. It takes bravery to stand up to that kind of enemy. We have enemies who are working against our well-being, scammers trying to get our bank details, burglars looking for an opportunity to take our stuff, manufacturers who put additives in food which makes it less nutritious. These are enemies working against our well-being. Our country has enemies, other countries actively working against the well-being of Britain and our way of life. Russia and China are known to be doing that. And Britain is, in turn, keeping a watchful eye to defend ourselves against those political enemies. Then we have spiritual enemies, the powers of evil that exist in the world and cause suffering and evil and injustice and make bad things happen to everyone and everything. This power is not as strong as it was and we don't have to let it defeat us. With Jesus on our side, we can fight against our spiritual enemies. One effect of this enemy is the injustice that's baked into the way the world works. It makes me part of the problem and forces me to live in an unjust and exploitative way. These injustices are not the fault of any one person and they're hard to solve. I'm talking about things like being part of a society here in the UK with a lifestyle that wrecks the planet. It's very difficult to live with no footprint, and that makes us part of the problem, even while we try hard to be green. 
I'm part of a society that oppresses the poor. I don't want to, but it's almost impossible to avoid. When I buy food, clothes, batteries, other necessities, am I exploiting workers in other countries? In some cases, probably yes. I can cut down on this where I know it's going on, but so often we're part of the problem. I pay my taxes to a government with unjust policies towards immigrants, the poor, the desperate, while lining the pockets of the rich. I live in a society that gives me white privilege. That includes still enjoying the benefits of an empire that in the past was responsible for oppression and slavery. Our society still has some advantages now that come from that empire. I see these systemic injustices and hundreds more like them as my enemies because they force me to be unjust too. I can't avoid being part of the problem. So when we pray to God for, to restore justice and peace, what does that mean for those of us who are part of the problem? And Stephen talked about this quite a lot in his sermon, either last week or the week before. Our only hope, as it says in the psalm, is to take refuge in God. That means asking his forgiveness and working to put things right, making ourselves part of the solution. We can't solve the whole thing, but we can be part of the solution. God's whole rescue plan for the fallen world uses the very people who are in need of that rescue themselves. And that applies to us. We can't save ourselves, but we can be filled with the inspiration and compassion that comes from God and work alongside him to bring salvation into some of those situations, to do justice and love mercy while we walk humbly with God. This means that once we know, we can try to avoid the things that make life worse for others. That's why we always have fair trade chocolate at this church on Father's Day, and why we always use fair trade coffee in the kitchen. Once we know how people are exploited, we can use our buying power to boycott products and look for ways around them. We can use our white privilege, if we have it, to amplify minority voices. We can write to our MP about issues and pray carefully about who to vote for at election time. We can campaign for a fairer world. We're not powerless because we wield the power of Jesus' death, his victory over evil. And not only that, we have the advantages that our society gives us and we can use both of those for the benefit of those who don't have either. So on this Remembrance Day, we see the wars around us as another sign of the tension between the now and the not yet. We groan inwardly, as Paul puts it, because of the suffering of it all. We might not know what to pray for, it's so overwhelming. And yet we do know that one day the whole creation will be liberated and we'll see God's kingdom in all its glory. And it's that hope that continually inspires us to work alongside God to make that day come. <laughs>